This episode of Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher is brought to you by my friends at Catoctin Creek Distilling Company. Located in Percival, Virginia, Catoctin Creek Distilling Company is the Virginia rye whiskey. From its traditional production methods to the land that infuses every bottle, everything about Catoctin Creek is inspired by the history and craft of Virginia. Founded by Scott and Becky Harris in 2009, Catoctin Creek is proud to be the first legal distillery since Prohibition in Loudoun County. And if you were drinking whiskey in Virginia before Prohibition, you are most certainly drinking rye whiskey, which is what Catoctin Creek is known for. Considered Virginia's most awarded whiskey, Catoctin Creek's flagship product, Roundstone Rye, is a 100% rye single barrel whiskey produced in the tradition of slower distillation in copper pot stills. That process results in a richer flavor, texture, and spice. This whiskey is delicious. So if you're ever in Percival, Virginia, stop in and say hello to Scott and Becky Harris at Catoctin Creek Distilling and tell them that Howard sent you and get some Roundstone Rye. It makes some darn good gin and brandy too, I'm gonna tell you. So just stop in and see them. You'll be very happy you did. And now let's get on with the show. This episode of Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher is also brought to you by Visit Loudoun, the tourist office for Loudoun County, Virginia. From delicious raspberry Merlot to drizzle over pie a la mode, to internationally recognized yet locally crafted whiskey to warm your soul, Loudoun County's nearly 100 craft beverage producers have something unique for you to share with family and friends this holiday season. Take Loudoun home to support the farmers, winemakers, brewmasters, and distillers who pour their heart into creating something unique something only found behind their tasting room doors. For example, liquor connoisseurs will love a craft cocktail kit, complete with Catoctin Creek Distilling Company's flagship Roundstone Rye, and that stuff is delicious. Wine lovers, you can pick up a trio of bottles from Stone Tower Winery or create a customized gift set from Bluemont Vineyard, complete with a bottle of bubbles. You always need those during the holidays. Or select a unique Norton from Chrysalis Vineyards, paired with a cheese that they make right on site. And if beer's your thing, look, Loudon has you covered. Breweries across the county like Old Ox, Bear Chase, and Crooked Run are making sublime craft ales, lagers, stouts, and IPAs. Head to Historic Leesburg where you can walk to a half a dozen breweries and create your own six-pack of local beers to take home. Visit Loudon, and you won't go thirsty this holiday, I guarantee it. For a complete list of craft beverage makers in Loudon, please check out their website, visitloudon.org. That's V-I-S-I-T-L-O-U-D-O-U-N dot org. Happy holidays. I don't want to move back to California. I love it here. I love what, what people are doing here. I love what Black Angels is doing, but I also love what other producers in the area are doing. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, there's a real, real community in Maryland. Um, and I, I, we have felt supported from our neighbors from every step of the way. Um, and likewise, if anyone ever is interested in starting a winery, you know, oftentimes they'll contact Ed and Sarah and, and we'll meet with them and say, how can we help? Um, and we found that from, from everyone else too. It is just a really cool, really great experience. Um, and it's been really interesting. 
This is Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher, a podcast that shines a light on the best winemakers, craft brewers, and spirit distillers in the DMV. So grab a glass of your favorite adult beverage. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and let's get started. Thank you, Asia. Hello and welcome to Barrel Tasting. I'm Howard Fletcher. This week, I'm going to be speaking to the general manager of one of the best wineries, if not the best winery, in the state of Maryland. Melissa Schulte is the general manager of Black Ankle Vineyards located in Mount Airy, Maryland. Black Ankle Vineyards is the culmination of a long-time dream of its founders, Ed Boyce and Sarah O'Haran. The husband and wife team found a location in the Maryland Piedmont to plant mostly Bordeaux-style grapes, although they've planted other varieties since planting their first grapes in 2003 and bottling their first wines in 2008. Melissa, as you'll soon hear, joined the team soon afterward and has become the most tenured full-time employee at Black Ankle. I was very glad when she agreed to take time out of her busy schedule to be a guest on my show because I think she's one of the few people who can speak from an experiential business perspective about what it takes to grow a premium wine business in a market and region that has no real history of doing so. And the ownership, winemakers, uh, Ed and Sarah, the management and the staff of Black Ankle Vineyards have done an exceptional job of doing just that. So that's enough out of me for now. So with no further ado, here's my conversation with Melissa Schulte of Black Ankle Vineyards. Let's all raise a glass. Hi, Melissa Schulte. Hi, how are you? Great. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Were you guys busy this past weekend? We were actually. Um, the weather was beautiful. Oh my gosh. It was in the 60s. It was stunning. Yeah. Yeah. That might be the last weekend we have like that. So no. But it's pretty late season. So yeah, definitely. It was um compared to last year, especially last year, it was pretty cold and rainy around Thanksgiving. So yeah. we are riding high. Yeah. So Melissa is the general manager of Black Ankle Vineyards. So tell first, before we get into uh, Black Ankle and all the great things you guys are doing there, what uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, how did you end up doing what you do now? Sure. Um, well, I guess it always starts with the love of wine for me. I mean, I grew up in California. Um, when I was going to college, I would frequent visiting wineries in Santa Barbara um, and the California area. I moved up to to uh, San Francisco and worked part-time for fun in the tasting room in Napa Valley. Um, I just really love the wine culture. And so when I relocated to the East Coast, mm-hmm. um, you know, the first thing I did was go wine tasting in Virginia. I started looking around in Maryland and I tasted Black Ankle Wines blind at a wine shop in Baltimore. And I had- Now, what, of, year, now what year was this? Uh, gosh, that was 2008. Okay. Yeah. 2008 in the very beginning and black yeah. ankle started selling wine in the fall of 2008. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, um, I was at a, a wine shop and she had a brown bag around it. She said, taste this wine. I actually thought it was from France. I, I loved it. And when I found out it was local, it was only an hour from me. I drove out to black ankle the next day and they were closed, but they opened up for me anyway. <laughs> let, let me back up a little bit. Cause I sure. didn't know that you were a California girl. Sure. I am. I and am. So, uh, very interesting. I want to hear your impressions because, you know, a lot of people, American wine drinkers, 
usually use California wine as the bar, the, sure. the, the measure, the litmus test or the measuring stick for wine nationally. So with you coming with that well-groomed California palate, when you started touring Virginia, um, you know, candidly, what were your impressions? So um, it was really dependent on where you visited. So I found that the wineries that were, um, that were a state um, tended, in my opinion anyway, for whatever it's worth, uh, tended to be a little bit better. They had a lot more quality control over their grapes. Mm-hmm. Um, I went initially to Linden Vineyards. Um, in the Front Royal area. So I went to Glen Manor in Linden and I thought they just, they really knocked my socks off. And when I visited it, although it didn't necessarily look like California, it felt uh, like just a really cool experience because obviously they had kind of curated their experiences. Um, So I liked it. It wasn't, um, you know, coming from Napa Valley, especially in 2008, the wines were um, a lot more over the top Mm -hmm. um, at times. Um, Now they're tending to be a little bit less alcohol and a little bit less jammy in California. But um, so it was a little bit of a different experience. Um, the wines that I tasted are, are more French style here um, and more old world style. I did taste some wines in Maryland uh, as well, mm-hmm. um, but it was still a pretty developing industry. There were a lot of different wines in Maryland um, and they hadn't really, I think there were something like maybe 20 or so wines at wineries in Maryland yeah. at that time. Yeah, a lot of fruit wine at that time. There was <laughs> fruit wine, yes. A lot of um, like French hybrids, a lot yeah. of Chamberson, um, and that wasn't stuff that I was used to drinking. Um, and there's a market for everything, but it wasn't some stuff that I was used to. Yeah, I'm going to have Jim Law from Linden oh. on next week. Well, awesome. uh, well, I'm going to record the episode next week for those sure. listening. It'll be probably a couple months. I'm real excited about that because while I have had bottles of Linden, I've never visited before ever. So I'm really excited about going. Yeah, it's very cool. I um I always it's where like I, I would take people. My family's visiting from California. We'd always go. Um, Jim has always been very kind to us. Um, and Ed and Sarah, who own Black Ankle, um, went and talked with Jim before they started Black Ankle to talk a lot about their tasting room space and about how he does things in his winery. So hmm. he's the founder for so many uh, great growers and winemakers in Virginia. So let's get back to that brown paper bag. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's uh this is a great sure. story. So so you drank this wine and you loved it. Yeah, so I just was really blown away by it, um, especially because um, I just had no idea where it was from. I felt like it was just super high quality. And to know that it was just an hour away, um, I was I was blown away. And it was, when she revealed it to me, it was Black Angle's very first crumbling rock. So it was our 2006 vintage crumbling rock, which mm. is a Bordeaux, a Bordeaux blend. Um, that year it was predominantly Cabernet Franc Bordeaux blend. And yeah. um, we always blend our Bordeaux varieties. Um, and I was just, I was astounded. So I, I literally drove out there the next day. I was working in DC for fun. And I was like, I got to go see what this place has to offer. Um, they were just opening, um, Sarah, who is our owner, one of our owners was in the tasting room and she was trying to get our, our winery tasting room software set up. And she was like struggling with the software and the computer. And she was like shaking the computer. Not really, but, um, and it was just, what a cool experience you drove in and it was like from the moment you drove in the driveway you just were surrounded by vines and it was now having knowing that that was all planned out but but at the time I was like where am I and the wines were just uh they just really knocked my socks off especially their first vintage yeah Yeah. well full disclosure for the listeners Mel knows this quite well I'm a, a wine club member at Black Ankle I was fortunate enough to uh, interview Ed a couple of years ago on another podcast of mine. Um, and that was my first time going to Black Ankle. I was not yet a club member. 
And uh, one of the things I, I shared with him and you just described it was it's sort of, it's, I don't know how to describe it. it your vineyards are it's hidden in this woods, in the woods. So you drive through these very twisty uh, roads through these very twisted woods. And then all of a sudden it's like you're come up on Emerald city. You know, it's really dramatic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love the way you say that. I'm going to use that. In the <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it is because I, you know, when you first, you know, first go there and you don't know where you're going, I'm just following the GPS, which I'm assuming is right. And I'm like, where in the world are they going to plant grapes here? And then all of a sudden you crest this hill and, you know, you might as well have the, the soundtrack going, oh, you know, when you see all these, these vines. It's really nice. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you why I was really excited about speaking with you on this, um, on this call, because uh, I came late to the game with Black Ink. Well, like I just mentioned, I only got there in uh, 2018. Uh, I think I had a bottle uh, first tasted a bottle maybe in 2017, maybe. Uh, I heard about, but I now I'm a late in life wine drinker, um, you know, for the taste of wine. <laughs> I'm, you know, the wines I drank before was certainly for effect, but um, I, you know, I was late. We all did. <laughs> we all started and, somewhere. Uh, you know, I found out about Black Ankle. See, I was my uh, Joan, who I don't know if you've met Joan. She's been out there a few times. My my partner, she, um, we would go, she lives in Vienna. So we do a lot of Virginia wineries. And we were at Maggie Malik's Wine Cave. And I, during course of conversation, told somebody that I was from Maryland because I live in Silver Spring. And they just went off about Black Ankle. And, you know, I was almost embarrassed by the time they finished to tell them I didn't even know what they were talking about. But, um, you know, that's how I that's how I found out about it. So why am I excited to talk to you to you? Because, you know, the wine business, especially in this region, much like the podcast business, <laughs> is that if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there, then, you, you know, did it make a sound? I mean, you know, if you don't know, you know, Ed and Sarah can make the best wine in the world, but if no one knows they're making it, you know, you don't get off mm -hmm. the ground. So you were there in the beginning. Mm -hmm. This wine blows your, your socks off. You, you, you really like it. Obviously, you have to, the uh, good winery has to have the, its reputation rooted in good product. But it takes more than good product to get out there and be successful and be able to last, you know, over a decade and, and gaining steam. So how did that happen? Tell me about that process. I think you must have had a lot to do with that. It's interesting. So Ed and Sarah first started by marketing like creating a website and an email list before we opened and probably all their friends in silver spring they also live in silver spring they probably were like hey everyone you're gonna need to come out here so the first thing they did was they entered our wine in the governor's cup contest the 2006 crumbling rock which is that brown bag wine uh mm -hmm. that i tasted and it won the governor's cup straight out and so what was good about that was that no one had heard about black ankle vineyards i sure. mean it won before we were even open so you couldn't visit mm -hmm. um but here was this wine, who are these people? Um, Ed and Sarah, I, I will tell, like just to backtrack a little bit. Um, so they searched for this property mm -hmm. for almost two years. So they were one of few people, at least at the time in Maryland that sought vineyard grapes and or vineyard grape land. And because they sought out a property that they thought would be perfect for wine growing grapes, um, you know, low fertility, low moisture in the soil, they ended up starting out with just a, a really great product. They do a lot in the winery, of course, too. 
um, but their land itself was perfect for vineyard grapes. And so they made this awesome wine right out of the gate, um, which made it easy when I came on board. I started part-time in the tasting room just for fun, um, right when they opened. And the first thing that we did once I was on full-time and Sarah um, already had a hand in this before I started was contacting all the local restaurants. So we don't sell a lot of our wine wholesale. It's only about 4% or something of our total sales uh, revenue per year. But um, trying to get people who, who were focusing on locally sourced food to pay attention to the fact that there were also wineries in the area that had locally sourced wine and that was grown around the corner. So we started with um, Spike at Woodbury Kitchen. And he tasted with Sarah. This was before I started, or Sarah and Ed, I believe. And he pointed at the menu. At, there was a blank spot on this menu. And uh-huh. he pointed out and he said, see this spot? This is a blank spot. I've been waiting for you to arrive. Uh-huh. And it was like, it opened our eyes. I mean, it was, it was the coolest thing. You get restaurants to start pouring your wine with food, especially when your wine is meant to be consumed with food. Yes. Um, and servers to start talking about it people that they trust wine shops like bin 604 right i heard about it because i was in baltimore and they brown bag this wine i mean what wine shop does that they're trying to right. promote a wine i mean that was that was how i heard about it so you you find people that are known for good wine in the area or good food in the area and you get them to be excited about your product um and so they did a great job with that off the bat um i will tell you that we have not ever spent well we did spend $100 one time on marketing because a friend of ours wanted us to uh, do an advertisement in a, the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. Um, right. But other than that, um, we haven't spent any money on advertising um, yeah. or, or marketing. And so it's all word of mouth. So you have to get great quality, but also just a great experience. Um, I guess when I started, you know, we, it was just me in the tasting room. It was like right. me behind the bar. Um, and my job was to get you to want to go home and tell all of your friends about it. Um, and it just, it just took off. Um, we were, we had two back-to-back great vintages, 2006 and 2007, um, both really good wines. Um, and then it just continued from there. We started a wine club. I mean, that all kind of gets into a few years after we, we opened, but it took a couple of years to kind of really get, get off and running. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say that, uh, I have been, uh, very much impressed by your cult-like following. Of and that's, that's I don't want that might be sound pejorative and I don't want it to be it's it's not meant that way because I'm I guess I'm one of those people in the cult but you know the okay. uh, the the fact when I spoke to Ed a couple of years ago and he told me that you all do not because I was going to try to get him to advertise on the podcast and he told me that you don't do any advertising that really struck me i was like wow this is all word of mouth but i think that might be a little bit of your secret sauce besides obviously making great wine because um it's everyone who i meet there whenever i go they just seem like they're in on the secret i mean they want to now tell other people but they seem like we're in on the secret this is where the great wine is in maryland you know they want to tell other people but they always say but not too many people right (laughs) and the whole brown bag thing uh, I have found now that I've somewhat developed a palate and I think I know what good wine is. At least I know the wine that I think is good. Um, when I tell people who, well, they could be from this area. There's just a, there's a, there's a prejudice and a stigma still mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. region for some of the homegrown wine mm-hmm. and especially Maryland. I mean, I think Virginia's kind of getting over it a little bit. I mean, you can go to a house party and say, this is some Virginia wine without people mm-hmm. turning up their nose too much. But if I say, I got this, this is some Maryland wine. They're thinking I'm coming out with like the, 
you know, the dandelion wine or something. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't, you know, I've gone to parties and just poured it mm -hmm. and let it speak for itself, which it does. And uh, that's always a good feeling. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, that is something too, that a lot of our members say. So mm -hmm. we, um, we are, we have such a good membership community. Um, even the people that visit that are not members that feel like they're, you know, they're swept up in this magic, just like I am. Like I come to work every day and I do not feel like I'm at work. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited about all the things that we're doing and uh, just the attention to quality and the sustainability of our farming and the experience we're trying to give members and customers and anyone that walks in the door. Um, we really don't want anyone to feel um, like they don't know what they're doing. Sometimes in Maryland, especially you, mm -hmm have a lot of people who have never been to a winery before yeah. and they don't know what they're doing. And you just want to, you want to talk to them and you want to make them feel comfortable and you want to give them the information that's kind of at the level that they're looking for. But then again, we don't make a product for everybody. So our wines are higher priced. Um, they're dry in style. Um, and so our thought is, you know, we've, we've creating this high, this high quality product. It's a little bit of a higher price point. Um, and those people that love this type of product will come find us mm -hmm. um, or people that have already found us will tell other people that love, the high quality product. Um, and it seems to have really worked. Um, we do every bend over backwards to be able to say yes, um, from my perspective. So I don't have anything to do with the winemaking. I am all on the business side of things, the sales yeah. side of things. So um, what my job is, is to make sure that we create something super memorable. Um, and we don't make a lot of wine. Um, so that's one of the things that kind of limits is, is that we're, we are hundred percent estate. So because we're hundred percent estate, um, we only make so much wine. And so a lot of that wine just goes to our membership or just goes to people that come and visit us and we sell out so quickly. So that's kind of part of it as well as people are like, oh, I missed out on that bottle of crumbling rock because it sold out in a day or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that adds to it a little bit of, I, I guess, the, the following. It's been quite an experience. <laughs> well, one of the things that uh, listeners of this podcast will know, I, I, probably say this way too often, but I think it's just very accurate. You're talking about your wine isn't for everybody. Mm -hmm. And um, Carl Damano, who's the winemaker at 868 uh, mm -hmm. in uh, Percival said, told me that he tells people that, or he makes it says it's analogous to buying artisanal cheese. That, you know, mm -hmm. now I'm not a big cheese person. So I probably would not purchase really good cheese because I would find it too expensive mm -hmm. or, you know, I, I just looking for something to put on top of a burger, you know, whereas mm -hmm. the person who's looking for this artisanal cheese is looking for a different experience. It's the same thing with, with, you know, local wine, especially high quality local wine. You know, if you're not looking for that experience, it's not going to be a value to you. Mm -hmm. you know, it's going to be too expensive for you. I mean, not because you can't afford it just because you're going to not find the value in it. Mm -hmm. But the fact that there are very small batches, you know, that's the case with all of the estate vineyards here, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it, unlike your home state mm -hmm. where, you know, there are some vineyards out there that produce as much wine as the entire state of Maryland and Virginia combined, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it, it's very, you know, if you have a, a, a good vintage, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's scarce, you know, you want to, it's very precious. Definitely. Um, I mean, it, it sells quickly, but also it sells to certain people. So we have, we have our Syrah lovers, we grow Syrah, we grow the five name oh. Bordeaux varieties, um, we grow a tiny bit of Pinot Noir. Um, and those are wines that um, they all have different, you know, different groups of fans, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and so we do make those, but they're all still, you know, something that 
we want you to be proud of to take in a brown bag to a party and just make excellent wine, not excellent for Maryland, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, and that's and that's that's one thing that's really good about it that it, it stands alone. And something that you else you mentioned, which I found to be the case, is uh, at least in this the wineries that I've toured in this region, uh, is that and you said there and they all tend to mostly be estate wineries, mm-hmm. but usually it's because those people started with the wine as opposed mm-hmm. to the venue. Because now there's quite a business in the wine industry and also in the brewing industry to use these venues for weddings and what, mm-hmm. what have you. And so they start with the venue to say, oh, this would be a great place to have a wedding. And then let's just throw some grapevines down mm-hmm. instead of finding the right type of land, like you said, Ed and Sarah mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's obviously paid off. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's talk about what we're, what's happening with us right now, because we are recording this on the week of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm in a time that no matter how well you planned and did all of your homework, you know, I don't think anybody prepared for going into, well, prepared for this year, period, mm-hmm. but especially going into this week with a worldwide pandemic on. Mm-hmm. So uh, how have you, and especially this is a business problem, you know, mm-hmm. or, or a challenge, how did you all deal with that and how are you dealing with what looks like it's going to be a little bit extended. Yeah. Uh, pandemic. Certainly. Um, well, we did not expect it, obviously. I mm-hmm. mean, um, things were going great so far in the year. Um, it was early in the year. It was still winter, um, but more people were coming and visiting the tasting room, um, even just January and February. Um, when we heard about kind of the, the inklings in March, um, the first thing we did was get our H2A visa guys here. So we, um, our vineyard crew, um, they, most of our vineyard crew anyway, lives in um, El Peñon, which is outside Mexico City in Mexico. And they all come, it's the same group every year. They are all friends, family related. Um, It's just the same crew. So we were, our number one thing was we get these 13 guys out. Um, So we, everyone came early, um, just in case things got worse. Um, So from the vineyard and the wine quality perspective, it was fantastic that we were able to have them here and there, was, there weren't any issues getting them here. Um, from the business perspective, the taste room perspective, um, we took a minute, right? And we were like, oh my God. Um, and then we decided what our priority was. So our priority was safety uh, to go, uh, whether that be safety of our staff, safety of our customers, um, safety of our members, visitors. Um, and we, we did everything through that lens. Um, and so the first thing we did, we were close, we were close for about 10 weeks. Um, we said, well, what are we gonna do when we reopen? So how is it that we can maintain the most safe environment while still trying to also maintain this level of service quality that people really fell in love with when they visit here? We want you to feel a certain way when you're here. And so um, I've said this before, and I think I may have said this to you before, but it's, we're in the business of building relationships um, about wine and over wine. And so how do you build a socially distanced relationship? It's, it's just this whole mind blowing thing. So we decided that um, we needed to, when we reopened, we needed to be by reservation only. Um, previously we were open Thursday through Sunday. We were open Thursday for our wine club members and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday um, for general public to walk in. Um, we flipped to a by reservation only model where when we reopened and we did this literally the first week that we closed because we knew we reopened at some point. Um, so we've got the ball rolling on that. Um, 
And we use a system on our website that does all of the reservations that communicates directly with our database. So if you're a wine club member and you book a reservation online, it knows you're a member. Um, all the things that really would make sure that we can preserve that experience online mm -hmm. um, that we're trying to do in the tasting room. Um, and then we sent an email out to all of our people who had ever visited us. And we said, how can we help you? Um, for us, we had a lot of part-time staff that were out of work. And we were like, if people need people to pick up groceries or you know anything, like we will put people to work that are on our tasting room staff because we just want to take care of this whole community. And we were lucky enough to where um, anybody for the most part, anyway, that wanted hours while we were close got the hours they wanted whether that be I'm doing home delivery. So the state of Maryland passed a law where you were allowed to, um, of course, closely monitored, but do wine deliveries to your home. So we had a lot of staff running out and doing home deliveries. We had pickup days where you could just drive through and you didn't even really, you just stopped and we gave you your wine and you kept going. Um, we reached out to all of the local um, cheese producers and creameries that we worked with. Of course, their bread and butter was people like us, um, farmers markets. And we were like, how can we help you sell your sell your cheese so we would set up tables during our pickups and, and local creameries would be able to sell their cheese and it was just a way to just how do we just keep keep it going um then in preparation two or three weeks before we reopened we had everything set up um we completely changed the way that we operate in the tasting room not only by being just by reservation but by allowing people to send text messages from their table to get their order um we expanded our patio um before in, in January of this year of 2020, we had decided already that we needed a tremendous patio expansion. So we got all of our permits in order, um, all of our materials, we, we had our plan in place. And then all of a sudden this happened and we were in such a lucky spot um, because we already had everything we needed to just take all of our outdoor space and triple it, yeah. which is what we did. It looks great. Um, so we, we expanded all of our tables, we pushed everything out so that it's, you're way more than six feet away from your neighbor. Um, and Basically, the customer flow uh, just completely changed. So it is a little bit more functioning like a restaurant inside anyway. Um, we are only operating outdoors right now. Um, even through the winter, we will only operate outdoors this year. Um, and so you can place your order with a text message or um, by going up to a bar where it's just you at the bar and you can order a wine flight to have it delivered to your table. Um, and then we have people inside kind of preparing the order and running it out like a restaurant, like food runners. Um, we also did, and, and we've been doing um, a lot of virtual tasting, um, just like this, you know, you're on Zoom or you're on whatever, whatever platform that you choose to be on. And um, we've found a lot of people are doing it with family and friends and relatives around the country. Um, we are shipping our wines to different places that, um, so people can drink their wine together. And we give a little like curated wine experience with that. Um, we've been doing happy hours. There's so many things that we're like, how do we continue to have the experience um, and it's been, it was such a challenge. I can't, I feel like we've, we've come through it and our, our sales are good. Our customer attendance is good. Um, everything has felt very safe. Um, we request anytime that you make a reservation in our system, we say, yeah, how do we do? And did you feel safe? And is there anything you noticed we could do better? And we, um, there were of course some things in the beginning, you just have to kind of learn as you go. Um, you know, if people have to wait a little bit longer for their wine to be delivered or whatever, but, um, I feel really good about it. I feel like we somehow yeah. came out of it, you know? Yeah. Well, nobody, you know, would want this to happen or desire yeah. for it to happen, obviously. No. Uh, but one thing, and it did, oh, there are a lot of businesses out there that took a hit. There are a lot of 
businesses in the wine industry that, mm-hmm. that took hits that they were going to maybe not recover from. Mm-hmm. However, I found that those that were able to be nimble and mm-hmm. adjust and get through it in an odd way, in an ironic way, mm-hmm. it helped it helped them develop or expand or diversify their business mm-hmm. model. So now there, there are more ways to deliver the product mm-hmm. that they were, that you, you and, and everyone mm-hmm. else were delivering. You know, I was speaking to someone the other day about um, the whole thing about serving people outdoors mm-hmm. and how seasonally uh, at this particular winery in Virginia, they kind of, you know, once it, the weather got cold, they were mm-hmm. like, everyone's going to bring it in. You know, they didn't, you know, they didn't really think about developing an outdoor mm-hmm. area, even though they had the capital to do so. They didn't mm-hmm. set up heaters or they didn't set up fire pits or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Well, now they are because that's how they have to deliver it. They're, that's the only way they can serve people. Mm-hmm. And um, now they're like, after this is over, we're going to have a larger place to serve people um, all mm-hmm. year round. So mm-hmm. it worked out. It's worked true. Out. We're, I mean, we we struggle with the cold thing. So mm-hmm. we originally, we tried, we were like, well, maybe we can do personal fire pits, but then you can't really have like 30 fire pits burning at one time, sure. and, <laughs> you know, um, and still be able to like breathe and like, you better have a lot of fire extinguishers. Um, yeah. And so we have um, people are still coming They're um, They're bundling up. We have some fire pits, of course, sprinkled yeah. around. I think we've got like seven or eight fire pits out. Yeah. Um, but I think they're preparing, like, it's like when you're like at a ski lodge and you yeah. like go and you, you know, they're preparing for the cold right. um, and they come all bundled up with a lot of blankets. We have, of course, a lot of blankets. We have some more, we have stuff like that to try to keep it festive, but um, people are still coming. Even, even when it does drop down and get cold, you still have quite a few people um, that almost feel safer coming when they know there are less people out and about. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I asked that of everyone who, uh, works or owns a winery mm-hmm. who comes on this show or, or any a brewery, a distillery. And it's just very in, inspiring actually to see how these entrepreneurs have taken this challenging situation. They were thrust, thrust upon them. You know, no one could even see this coming mm-hmm. and they did what they needed to do, you know, and it's, and it's really neat to see as a business person. I like seeing people do that. It's really exciting for me. What, I feel like what a lot of our neighbors and, and what we've been able to do. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, our customers are the best. I don't know about any other wineries customers, but our customers, I mean, they, um, they would reach out and say, Hey, we want to make sure you stay in business. So we're going to buy a case of wine. Yeah. Hey, we want to, you know, um, regardless of, of the situation, we want to, you know, do everything we can to make sure that you're, that you're doing well, that, that we preserve black ankle. And in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, that's huge. That was such a comp. It's just a huge compliment to me. Um, not just because of wine, because they care about the staff. Um, yeah. People were, were asking to leave tips for the staff. Um, you know, even if they didn't ever come in, like, Hey, I would have visited this month. So I'd like to leave a tip for whoever, you know, um, and to see the amount of people that are coming out now, it's actually way more people are first time visitors here huh. than ever before. Um, we are tracking our data better now that we are doing this reservation system. So before we had a guess of approximately how many people were coming in the door and we kind of could guess about our wine club conversion rate, but now we know how many people are actually walking through the door, um, and who they are. And we have all their contact information and many of them are just coming back over and over and over again. Um, and it is, I'm, I'm so 
it's, it's been a very difficult transition, but I do feel like we've somehow managed to at least make it easier on our staff and our customers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mentioned to you, I, when I came by a couple of weeks ago, I stopped by another a brewery winery uh, in mm-hmm. Mount Airy and it was like they were having a rock concert there. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's because, yeah. you know, uh, people are finding alternatives. Even if you could go, you don't feel as comfortable going indoors to mm-hmm. a bar or a restaurant mm-hmm. now. So they're looking for alternatives. And, you know, the businesses like yourself yourself uh, are there to provide mm-hmm. that service. And, uh, you know, you do take care of people quite well. That's why they're coming back. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give someone if they were, if they came to you and said, Mel, I'm thinking about this winery business looks pretty cool. I, I you know, I know how to make wine. I want to open up a winery. Uh, here, what would you tell mm-hmm. them? I would say, so just from uh, from my perspective, I would say, look for the right piece of land um, and get a good mentor, um, hire some good consultants. Um, I think that in Maryland, especially, it's extremely important to um, to make sure that you don't have too much water in your soil. Um, make good wine. I mean, make your focus the wine, like you had mentioned. I mean, there we have just barely touched the consumer market of people that are looking for our for black ankle style of wine in Maryland and DC area. Um, we're barely. I mean, we barely. There's enough customers in this to go around. Um, and the more quality winemakers and quality wine produced in Maryland, that we all rise up um, and we all improve. So I would say go for it. Yeah. Find the right piece of land. Get have a lot of money or find a way to get a lot of money. There's a lot of uh, USDA value-added grants. Um, there's a lot of things that are available for people to do it. You know, my husband and I are looking into it. Um, I would say, I would say, go for it. I would say, make great wine, make a great experience. Um, I feel like people will come. Yeah. Just my bet. Yeah. No, I th- no. Th- one of the th- reasons uh, that I, one of the impetuses of making this podcast Mm-hmm. is um, I want to support the craft beverage industry here. Mm-hmm. But specifically with wine, you know, I think that in a smaller scale, we are much like Napa back mm-hmm. in the 70s. Um, mm-hmm. You know, where, where now the, you know, the, the talent is here. You know, the, the, the talent is here as far as, far as winemaking is concerned. Because mm-hmm. um, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's bad wine everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. even in Napa Valley, you find mm-hmm. bad wine everywhere. But there's also great wine there, and the great winemakers are are coming to the surface here or been been there. It's just mm-hmm. a, you just haven't touched everybody yet. People haven't known, and I want people to know that this is a a, a destination to come to 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 go on wine tours, or mm-hmm. if you're into craft beer, there are a lot of breweries around here that are doing really special things, and mm-hmm. a lot of distilleries now because you know. The whole mm-hmm. whiskey and rye thing started here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is the place to go. So I'm, I'm real proud of it. So that's why I want, you know, I, I want to let people know about people like you. Mm-hmm. Or places I agree. Like- I don't want to move back to California. I love it here. I love what, what people are doing here. I love what Black Angel is doing, but I also love what other producers in the area are doing. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, there's a real, real community in Maryland. Um, and I, I, we have felt supported from our neighbors from every step of the way. Um, and likewise, if anyone ever is interested in starting a winery, you know, oftentimes they'll contact Ed and Sarah and, and we'll meet with them and say, how can we help? Um, and we found that from, from everyone else too. It is just a really cool, really great experience. Um, and it's been really interesting. 
uh, for me coming from outside of, of Maryland and not yeah. realizing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you made, you, you mentioned something in the beginning of our conversation that mm -hmm. I, I wanted to disagree with you on as far as the, the type of wine you all make at Black Ankle mm -hmm. and, uh, the, you know, the Bordeaux style wines. And I try to tell people this and I'm just learning this. I'm far from an expert about it, but mm -hmm. it's made to go with food, you know, whereas mm -hmm. a lot of the wines, the better wines, especially the reds, because I'm a red wine drinker mm -hmm. that come from California. I, you know, I, I call them, like, they're almost like the bourbon of wines. I mean, they stand on their own. You don't, you don't mm -hmm. really drink, you don't get a bottle of bourbon and say, this would really pair well with a steak or something, you know? <laughs> right. You know, it's kind of like, it's all about the bourbon. And some of those reds out there, and they're great reds, you know, and, and, and some Spanish reds too. Mm -hmm. They are really good and big and bold, but they're, they are what they are. And if you mm -hmm. learn, and if you think that's the red wine that you like, great. But when you drink a red wine here, kind of know what it's about, you know, mm -hmm. and if you, if you're drinking, opening it up, expecting to get something that's just going to like blow your whole, <laughs> your, your tongue away, right. it's going to be, you're going to be disappointed. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've, I've learned too. I mean, my palate obviously shifted. I think, I think mm -hmm. since I moved, so when I moved here, I did, I was like always searching for these huge wines, you know, and then I found that I liked them less and less. The more I tried to pair them with food, it was more difficult. The higher the alcohol, the, the more difficult right. it is oftentimes to pair um, or the less complimentary, I guess, depending on the food. Um, and now, um, you know, we just recently did a, a wine dinner where we would, some people came and ate outside and it was like rainy, but we also delivered a lot of these dinners to, um, to our customers' homes. And it was paired with our Leafstone Syrah, which is one of our premium Syrahs. Um, and it had four different courses and each one was paired with a Syrah. Um, cause you know, you're not going to open five bottles of wine when you're at home with your partner or whatever. So, or maybe you will, no, I mean, no judging. Um, but, um, at least you're at home, but, um, no, so it, it just, every single course changed the way the wine tasted. And it was, it was so interesting. The, um, chef, uh, his name is Tay, um, really great chef. Um, but each, each dish completely changed the character of the wine. They all still tasted like the Leafstone Syrah, but they, some of it would just would make the finish just sing, you know, and it was, um, it was really cool. And our wines have always been made to go with food. Black Ankle's label was meant, was made to look good on a dinner table. That was the whole thing they started, Ed and Sarah started with before I was around, way before I was around, um, was how do we make this look good on the table um, that you want to share it with friends. And I, that has been what we've been about ever since, make something so good that you want to share it with your friends. A lot of good information on the back of that label. Oh the yeah. Back of the bottle. I, I love those. <laughs> that is true. That yeah. is true. We want it, We want you to know maybe what it's going to taste like by reading the back of the label. We yeah. don't give the tasting notes. We just right. do the tech. Yeah. Yep. One more thing. One more question. Sure. Yeah. No, this if is you, fun. If you could go back to say that moment after you, well, after you had the brown bag bottle, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like the description of a brown bag bottle. <laughs> um, and, you know, went searching for uh, Black Ankle. Then you decided that, yeah, I'm, I, I think I would like to work here. Mm -hmm. If you could go back and give yourself some advice then, something you know now that you, that you didn't know it then, mm -hmm. if there's something, there may be, not be anything. Maybe mm -hmm. part of the joy is that you didn't know anything. But if, you, if there's something that you think you, you would have liked to have known then, is there anything like that? Well, so we were in startup mode. Um, mm -hmm. I had in San Francisco, I had worked with startup companies. I'm just, you know, as, as one of my jobs. And um, let's see, it, it's, 
I was thinking in my mind, like, oh, I just love pouring wine behind the bar, right? <laughs> and I love connecting with people. But Ed and Sarah hired me and I was their first full-time employee. Um, I've been a black ankle for over 11 years. Um, and the amount of work, I mean, that it takes to get something like this going, um, I knew it would be a lot of work, <laughs> but this amount of work was, was pretty, um, pretty intense, but it, it doesn't feel like work. So um, I don't think I knew how much I was going to love it. Um, mm. I have a master's in political science. I was working for a U.S. senator. It was like my dream job. I love my dream job to join this. And this has been so much better. I mean, I don't think I knew how much it would change my life um, and my trajectory. Um, you know, now I, I live in the country. I have a small little tiny farm. I, um, I am surrounded constantly by just the most beautiful office anyone could have. Um, it was just the best decision. Um, yeah. 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 Well, considering what's going on on the Hill now, I think oh. you uh, are a lot more sane, I think. Then. Yes. <laughs> yes. Would I would be drinking a lot more. I think yeah. I work on the and <laughs> yeah. I like in wine. Yeah. Maybe those five bottles. Right. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Mel, yeah. thank you very much for uh, agreeing, agreeing to do this. Um, I think what you guys are doing there, as I've said a million times on the show already, is phenomenal. Um, thank you so much. Is there, if, hey, before we go, is there oh. anything coming up in 2021 or anything you'd like people to know about Black Ankle that um, we haven't talked about? So sure. So um, there's so much. Um, but one thing I want to mention is that um, Ed and Sarah are purchasing more land. So they have bought a couple years ago, they purchased um, two more farms and they're starting a new brand. Uh, and it will be in Clarksburg, Maryland, um, oh, in wow. Montgomery County. That's closer it's to called, I know it's closer to you. You'll be able to visit. Yeah. It's much shorter commute from Silver Spring. Yeah. Um, but it's called Live Edge Vineyards. Um, we're building a tasting room there. Um, we have another farm that we're going to be sourcing a lot of our fruit from that. So it'll still be hundred percent grown by the owners of Black Ankle. Um, and that is probably about four years around the corner. Um, so if there's ever a testament to those people wanting to get into the wine business, Ed and Sarah found the right property, made excellent wine, did everything they could to make sure that they were preserving the wine quality. And it goes to show that they're now expanding. So, so live edge is... Yeah. Uh, four years away. It's about four years away. We've already planted okay. a lot of grapes. Right. Tempranillo there, which is really exciting. Yeah. Cool. Um, but we, uh, that's probably about four years away from right. the tasting room opening itself. Okay. Um, but we'd like you to know about that. Um, we would, especially if you've been meaning to get out and you haven't been out, um, we would love to see you. Um, and now that we're by reservation, we can make sure that your experience is what you want it to be. We can customize the heck out of it. Uh, we can make it feel the way you need it to feel and keep you safe while we're doing it, so. Okay, cool. well, I'll be there. Well, I will and, be here. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. Hopefully yeah. I will still be doing this podcast in four years and I can get live in. We'd love to have you. Sarah on here, talk yeah. about that. Let's book you on the calendar now because okay. I'm sure you'll be all booked up. <laughs> yeah, good, good. All right, well, thank you very much. And I will, I'm sure I'll be speaking to you soon. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. All right, bye-bye. Yep, bye. Well, that's another show in the books. I'd like to thank Melissa Schulte for taking time out of her day to spend a few minutes with me on the show. If you are in or near Frederick County or Mount Airy, Maryland, please visit Black Ankle Vineyards. You'll be glad you did. I would like to ask you to please subscribe to the pod if you have not done so already. I'll introduce you to some of the best folks in the DMV and surrounding area, and that's a promise. Please tell your friends about us and have them tune in. 
they will thank you for it, and I certainly will. So go subscribe right now. I'm all about promoting the craft beverage industry in the DMV because I think it's some of the best in the nation. If you agree, please share the podcast. The more it grows, the more I can get the word out about the craft beverage culture in the DMV, and that's always a good thing. This podcast was produced by my friends at Q9. Listen, if they can make a hack like me sound good, imagine what they could do with somebody who's a little less hackish. If you're in the podcast biz, please Google Q9, that's Q-U-E, the number nine, and ask them about their services. I think you'll be quite satisfied. I'll be back next week with another craft beverage maker in the DMV to introduce to you. I know there's a ton of media that you could be listening to right now besides me, and that's why I work so hard to bring you the content I do. I truly appreciate your time and investment in me. Thanks again for listening. And remember, always have a designated driver so I can see you next time. Iskivata. You have been listening to Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher, part of the Fletcher Podcast Group. You can reach Howard at his website, barreltastingpod.com. I'm Asia Blue. Thanks for listening. See you next time.